This is Women Authors of Achievement Podcast, episode 62 with guest Martina Ring. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Sovorova, and welcome to the conversation. My guest today, Martina Rink, was raised between Germany and the UK. She landed her first job as a personal assistant to the late Isabella Blow, a legendary English muse, stylist, and magazine editor. After Blow's death in 2007, Martina released a coffee table book portraying the impact of her mentor on the fashion industry. Fast forward to today, Martina is releasing her fourth book called People of Deutschland. For Martina, this publication is much more than just a book. It covers the controversial subject of racism in Germany, where 45 people get to share their experiences that deal with pain and rejection, but also with assertiveness and civil courage. Join me in my interview with Martina, and as I ask her about People of Deutschland, you can learn a lot as well. And if you think someone should hear this conversation, make sure to share the episode with them. Martina, welcome to the studio. I can imagine these are busy days for you with the launch of the book People of Deutschland, and I really appreciate your coming to the studio today. Thank you for having me. I actually got to learn about People of Deutschland from one of my show guests from season two, which is Constanza Say, mm -hmm. and she spoke of it very highly, and she was talking about the upcoming release, and there are more news to be released and uh, also that she was honored to be part of it. So now I actually get to speak to the creator of this book. So it's a lovely coincidence. <laughs> it is. Before we dive into the key topic of today, which is the book People of Deutschland, I wanted to know how did your career in publishing start and how you, you know, you look through it through the lens of fashion and, you know, fashion capturing your interest over all those years. Maybe you can share that with me. Well, my journey in fashion began in London. I used to study fashion. And as a young student, I always tried to black my way into the fashion shows. And so I met interesting personalities, eccentric people, and I loved the atmosphere. It was energizing and inspiring. And so one day I met Isabella Blow and we clicked from the beginning and started um, to be a friendship. And then I ended up working for her as her PA. Actually, in Isabella Blow, she was known for her very witty, smart taste, and especially in picking the hair accessories or those hats. Yes. And there was always a statement to every event she would come. There was always a statement with the hat, I guess, right? Yes, exactly. She kept Philip Tracy busy. <laughs> demanding your hats. Nice. And how was it like working with her? Exhausting. She's been such an eccentric with all those, yeah, crazy ideas, but also not too crazy. And yeah, it, it's just been, every day was completely different. And one day she wanted to me to order a helicopter and the next day, it's just always something, you know. That sounds like you have a good, I would say, like stress uh, resistance level with yeah. probably such going so, through so. such requests. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what did you learn when when you you finished kind of this work and you stopped working with her as a personal assistant? And she also passed away, as I understood, in 2007. What did you really take away from that period? And also, is there like some like from this very creative and completely boundless person, what were your takeaways for yourself and your own growth? Try not to doubt anything is possible mm -hmm. and always be kind to people. 
She was a very kind person. That's a beautiful combination. And uh, did you feel that there was something missing in your area of expertise, which was publishing and fashion, um, when you decided to start working on something completely different, which is people of Deutschland, uh, focusing on the topics of racism? Yes, I mean, I was so into fashion and my whole life I wanted to be in the fashion industry and then Isabella passed away and I had the opportunity to do my first book um, on Isabella, which is the official coffee table book. And um, it's been an honor to be able to do that. And then I did my second fashion book, which is Fashion Germany. Yeah, and it, it was always about fashion. And then I said, I always say after the books, I'm never going to do another book. Mm -hmm. It's every time the same. And I call, I always say they're, they're my babies, you know, but they take longer than nine months. And um, How long does it usually take you? A year minimum. Mm -hmm. Yes, because I always, that's my concept. I always have a lot of people in books and they're very busy. So it takes time to get the contributions mm -hmm. and the interviews together. But um, it actually started with Corona that um, people kind of slowed down. And I started to reflect a bit and I had a new phase in my life. What do you mean by a new phase? I kind of stopped that crazy fashion lifestyle mm -hmm. and um, stopped going to all the parties and um, stopped drinking alcohol and started meditating. So it was all a bit of a finding myself and or going closer to myself because fashion is always, you know, to the outside world in a way. And um, it's masks, end of the day, a, lo a lot of it and um, facades. Yeah. So I thought some time about what is it, what I personally have experienced, what has hurt me and is a subject I could use for my book. And also I've experienced racism, but I also had racist structures in my mind. So can you explain me that? For example, when in the evening, you know, it's it's dark and there's a, a black guy uh, walking on the street, you know, you you do go on the other side. It's it's always, you know, that's what you're told and it's wrong in a way. It's it's things, you know, only because he's black and it's, it's a complete ignorant way of, of judging people. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you feel like you challenged yourself with this project? Also, how you think then? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it gives you a compass of how you behave. And um, it makes you more sensible about it, how to talk to people and how to communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I always use storytelling mainly in my books. And, and that was for this book also the, the aim because I think, I believe it's no point um, pointing the finger to people. You can't do this. You, you shouldn't do that. And this is wrong because you you shouldn't say that or you, you're not meant to say this like, like a teacher because it just frightens them. And they close, they shut down and they don't want to hear it. They just want to back off and don't want to have anything to do with it. So those stories are meant to be here to motivate people to 
think about their behavior mm -hmm. and um, the way they act towards people of color or migration. But uh, before we go uh, deeper into the stories, because I would love to know what can one find in the book, you mentioned that you have also experienced racism. So what is your personal story and and how did it make you feel back in the days when you experienced it after con maybe confronting yourself now is also hearing other stories and reali realizing that there was some kind of pattern also for other people and maybe you can share that. My personal story started um, when I was a young child and we lived in the countryside and there were just white people and... You were born in Germany. Uh, I'm born in Germany but adopted from German parents. So my parents are light-skinned and I'm a little bit darker. So on the countryside, that was strange. And um, yeah, we didn't really settle in too well. I mean, my parents tried, but um, it always felt different to live around those people. And But there were different reasons for it. My dad didn't work in the countryside. He worked in the city. Mm -hmm. So um, that was also a reason why we were different. And yes, I just like the countryside, basically. And uh, there were kids and I always wanted to play with them, but they didn't play with me because, yes, I didn't look like them. So that's my first experience, really, that you just want to play with kids when you're a kid and they don't respond to it. They, mm. they um, cut you out and um, don't tell you where they go or lead you to a different place, you know, or they locked the gate door so I couldn't mm. get in and... Yeah, little things like that, which Frank says they're Mückenstiche, like mosquito bites. Mosquito bites. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did this continue through your work? Because speaking of the fashion industry, especially, I would imagine in UK, it's very diverse, very in inclusive. Yes, it was uh, very diverse. I mean, th there were a lot, of, uh, I studied in uh, London, there were a lot of um, people from different um countries um, it was very international but to be honest only well it was very rare that a black person or people of color in general got to the top designers basically at that time in that time we're speaking of 2000 2000 so early 2000s mm -hmm. having all this experience and and going also through it why did you feel that it was the right time to publish this book now um, so this year How did you decide to work with Simon as your like partner in crime for this? Well, the book should have been out earlier. So it's always <laughs> with books. You never know when they pop out. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful thing of uh, unpredictable analog uh, in, in something which is so tangible as a book. So there's, there's a beauty in that. <laughs> yeah. So I talked to people during Corona and asked how they feel about it. If they had racist experiences or have they been racist because I felt terrible having those myself racist patterns uh, of my mind you know thoughts I wanted to reflect on that and, and go deeper if this is something just me or is it normal or and it is unfortunately quite normal even that people of color have those thoughts and problems about it mm -hmm. and barriers. Mm -hmm. How did you meet Simon? Yes, uh, Simon. I started the book by myself and started with people I found interesting. And um, 
the important thing also in this book is there are so many different people in different um, areas and they're all very successful in, in their area. And that was very important to me that it's not um, in one bubble mm -hmm. only or one subject or only people in fashion or in, in the movie industry. I wanted them completely all over the place. Yeah, I meant I saw that there was people in political backgrounds, sports, fashion, also mm -hmm. acting, business. So it's a very wide range of people. But did you proactively reach out to them? Were you were they part of your network? Some of them were part of my network. Some I just uh, started connecting with or, or connected on LinkedIn or Instagram and approached them. Mm -hmm. Some I met. Well, not so much during Corona, mm -hmm. but... But was the intention to tell the stories of people of color or the ones with migration background? Both. Both. It's about people who look different. Mm -hmm. They can't hide their skin or their their features, basically. So the first thing what they're confronted with is um, how they look. And was there a story that you personally connected with the most? First, I come back to the when I met Simon. Okay. <laughs> so Simon is very successful in the advertising world, and um, he had a article about race, I think in V&V and um, I found it quite interesting and um, so I read it and I contacted him through a, a common friend and then I asked Simon if he wants to be part of the book as a guest com contributor and um, the funny thing was Simon always he did his own story but he also sent me people like oh this person is interesting you should talk to that person and so he was very supportive from from the beginning you know trying to make this as great as possible mm -hmm. and, and you were interviewing all the people um i was interviewing most of them okay. yes some wrote their story just um three and some i interviewed yes so, and he, he didn't stop uh, helping me. And I thought, man, you know, you're just incredible. It's so nice of you that you always come back and show me new things and, and do research about it and are so, so supportive. And I thought, man, this could be just a really good team. And um, so I asked him if he wants to be um, co-author. And he said yes. And since then, we've been... <laughs> Riding the waves together. Mm -hmm. But there's actually his story in the book as well. Mm -hmm. And what about yours? Mine is in, as well. As well. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's the one who took the cover. <laughs> yes, exactly. Along with others. I yes. See. No, but there's at the back as well. Ah, you see two yeah. sides to it. Yes. So back to my question, if there was a story that you connected the most with? I think Hans Sapai or Mola. Hans is a ex-professional football player and Mola um, used to be in the German music channel Viva, like MTV but Viva. They have quite disturbing stories in a way. Um, Hans' story tells us about him being on the field mm -hmm. playing football and when he did a, a mistake uh, they made monkey noises. Mm. And it's very um, disturbing. Yes, and uh, that gives me goosebumps in a way. It's it's, it's very irritating, and um, you just don't want to believe that people can do such things. 
to humiliate people like that. And uh, Mola, uh, he was very famous in, in the 90s, one of the cool moderators in, in German TV, and they did lots of festivals and live shows, and uh, he had lots of fans, uh, but also there has been a group uh, which she sent him a bomb. No. Yeah, in the fan sure. mail. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just, it's very scary what can happen when you're in the public. And that was in the 90s. That's that's even more disturbing mm. because it's life-threatening. Yeah. And how did he react to that? Well, he had to have much more security, but he was frightened, of course. And despite having that experience, he still openly spoke about that. Mm -hmm. About years after, yeah. Almost 20 years after, right? Yeah. More than 20 years. Yeah. Wow. So those I would imagine also the most shocking interviews. But after completing not all 45 interviews, but most of those, did you feel the pain or you felt no, it, it was, that it gave you courage? It, it gave me courage because I was like, oh my God. A lot of times in, in the stories, people say, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who experiences. And I thought I'm the only one. And um, it empowers when you realize that you're not the only one. And there are other people who have the same struggles and obstacles they have to deal with. Absolutely. And um, who at the moment, because you also partnered uh, with uh, companies uh, for this book, what was the idea behind this partnership? We carefully selected the companies and um, we also helped them to do projects which give them the opportunity to address that to their consumers mm -hmm. and, and show that they do care and that they're trying. And it's just the beginning of it, really. Uh, there has to be a lot more to be done in companies, but they're open for it. They want to do better. And um, do you think that there will be other companies reaching out and wanting to have that support or learn from this in any way? I think it's too early to say. Mm -hmm. Once again, I mean, you said that there is uh, this book gives courage and, and empowers others. But who do you think should read this? Like, if you have your top three readers, who are those personas? Who are those um, people or companies? Definitely teachers, politicians, just um, the privileged white people. With privileged white people is... It's clear, but why politicians and teachers? Because teachers, they're these children and they're like plants, you know, they need to grow. And if teachers are giving them the wrong morals and values of life, it starts to go wrong. And politicians? Because there needs to be much more done for people who come to this country. I don't want to go too much into it, but... Um, It's very sad that we have people coming to Germany, they're qualified, but they can't work here because it's a different... Different qualification different system, right? System, exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're not allowed to work here. And they want to work. They want to be able to 
to establish a life lifestyle for them here. Hundred percent. And Germany is looking for qualified exactly, specialists. Exactly, because we we need some qualified specialists. But Germany is making it so difficult, and it it should be seen as an opportunity. Absolutely, and at least in a written form, that's how it looks like. But then we see the, of course, the action. But and if we say like you want those three groups in total, but if I speak specifically about teachers and politicians, how do they make sure they they actually get across this book and it doesn't bypass them? We sent a lot of emails to schools that this book is out. I was about Simon, to ask that. Simon did that. And um, in Germany, I would assume, right? Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. Germany. Mm -hmm. And we also have maybe a pop opportunity to speak to politicians and um, bring this forward to them. That's, um, I wish you luck with that. I can imagine this is still in ongoing. Yes. When it comes to just an individuals, if we talk about people working in the Berlin, is there something you would wish them to take certain action and we talk about maybe students or working students, potentially people working in a business startup scene, what else can they do to make actions to talk about, you know, racial justice, but also take a proactive approach if they see discrimination, if they see a person was not treated fairly, what actions people could should take, what should they think about more often these days? Well, they should think End of the day, it's quite easy. They should just think how they would feel if somebody would do that to them. And um, there should be a person in each company which is um, a person where people of color and migration background can go to if they have any struggles. Yes, and as you also mentioned, you saw this as optimistic, constructive book that doesn't use... In, in a way, like it doesn't approach it as a moral club, but instead um, entertains, but also invites readers to think, right? Th like to take responsibility and to think differently. And I think that's also a very important perspective that it's not just looks back and, and keeps it certain in a negative way, but you, you feel the pain, but you don't know what to do with this pain, but it, it makes you take certain action. But it also, as you said, has courage to invite the reader to be also courageous themselves. You know, and, and what I also was fascinated is that also as I understand those 45 people not only talk about racism in their everyday life, but also they see how change can be implemented or they suggest certain change. So they also provide recommendations, they provide yes. tools of that, how this can be changed. It's proactive, yeah. What um, Germany can do or should do and what we wish could be done. Before I get to our wrap up of our conversation today, what are other thoughts you have when it comes to the future of Germany, when it comes to tolerance and inclusion? Where do you see Germany? I think Germany needs to see this as a chance when people um, are seeking Germany as a home or trying to make a, a future for them. Germany should have a system that filters um, certain individuals, and it should be more individual-oriented. Yeah. So being more thorough in their process. That's interesting, actually. So it has good intentions, but just need to put a little bit more thought into how they approach individuals. So we have the starting point, so it's just polishing the work that is already ongoing, which is inviting people, right? Yes, I mean, 
in a way we do invite people, but we don't allow them to grow, yeah. you know, and to be part of the society. On the other hand, the Germans say, let's say Ausländer, they don't integrate. Well, how can they if they don't get the chance to? Thank you so much for raising those important thoughts, Martina, and sharing about people of Deutschland. It actually comes to the end of the conversation and my last question, which is always highlighting a woman role model of my guest. And I'm curious to know who is your woman author of achievement today? It's Viola Davis, the actress, and her book is called Finding Me. I always admired her um, for, for the movies and she has this power in her, the way she plays roles. And you see she has had struggles and it wasn't easy for her to, to be there where she is now. And that also is very well written in her book. And um, it's very inspirational of how we see the world and empower each other and ourselves. Thank you for sharing her name and her book, Finding Me. It's a memoir. Um, yes. I can, I can see here. Once again, Martina, thank you for joining me in the studio and talking about really your background, right, to understand how you came to the such exciting and important project, People of Deutschland, really what people can find about the book, but also how what they can learn. And I think the key takeaway, it's a, it's a proactive book, as you said, and it makes people to take steps forward, courageous steps forward, and really reflect on the topics of civil courage, on the topics of rejections, on the topics of discrimination and racism, and hopefully uh, make people grow from this and make the right decision uh, when it comes to or make a balanced decision as individuals going into the future, taking those learnings and making sure as a person, as a company, as an entity, one does not make those mistakes. So thank you so much for bringing this conversation. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.